I've been waiting for that man to sing for such a long time. How many think he needs to sing more often? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, brother. I saw a video of him singing in the Philippines. I said, what in the world are you singing over there for? Uh, we need you here, and I appreciate Brother Benny and what a sweet spirit and uh, so forth. We're gonna, the sermon tonight is almost entirely scripture. Uh, there will be a comment of preaching here and there, but uh, mostly scripture tonight. Um, I almost hate to do this, but, but I, uh, I need some prayer. Um, the chest pain's been pretty bad this week. Uh, right now, my left arm um, is, is hurting pretty dramatically. Um, my left hand is cold and clammy, um, so I'm not quite sure what's going on. It might just be old age, orneriness, I don't know. Um, so uh, just kind of pray as I'm preaching. And uh, again, I hate to keep asking for that tonight. It just, uh, something's going on. Uh, when I'm done tonight, I'm going to ask Tim to come up and just make the announcements and close the service out in prayer. And uh, I'm going to slip out pretty quick. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul had the very unhappy task of dealing with sin in the church at Corinth. By the way, beloved, when you do wrong... Um, and it, it, it has to be dealt with. You have no idea how hard that is on other people. You have no idea what a grief it is. Uh, the, the, question, the man in question was uh, living in immorality, the Bible says, with his father's wife. Uh, God doesn't go into any more detail than that and doesn't need to, but it was a terrible thing, um, and uh, the church was required to deal with it. Paul said, when you're gathered together under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, you need to remove that man. You need to put him out of the church, uh, literally to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He wants to live that way in the church, get him out of there. He gave his heart over to the things of the devil, and he, he just needs to pay the piper. Uh, and then he said, and have nothing to do with him. Uh, when somebody is dealt with over sin and you baby them and you make them feel like the victim, you are not helping them. Uh, he said, you need to put them out of the church. And it was a hard thing for Paul to write. It was a grievous thing. Um, in Paul's second letter, uh, he addresses that same, uh, uh, that same issue. It appears that the man in question, the church did exactly what they were supposed to do. And that was to their credit that they obeyed. Um, and when it happened to this man, it brought about the conviction of the Holy Spirit in such a way that the man repented, deeply repented over his sin. By the way, there is no sin that Almighty God cannot forgive. Um, and, and please understand that. And so that is what Paul is addressing in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. Verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. The church took action against this man and his sin. Um, and now he says, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. It was the man's responsibility to repent. And now once he had, it was the church's responsibility to forgive. We have to understand that. That was vital. This matter of the what was back on the church. In 1 Corinthians, it was on the church. You need to deal with the sin in this particular individual. Now it's back on the church saying, all right, you're standing at another crossroads. You need to forgive that man now that he has repented. 
This is so important because look what Paul says in verse number 11. Here's why the church needed to take that action, that uh, extend that forgiveness, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul said, your forgiveness right at this moment is crucial because if you don't, Satan will get an advantage. Uh, in the world of sports, which many folks are involved in or interested in to one degree or another, uh, sports teams will sit down and they will study their opponent, uh, opposing teams. They will, uh, they'll review videos of games of their defense, their offense. Uh, they'll learn, uh, you know, this is what the quarterback does under these circumstances. These are the types of plays. And they will go over these things over and over again. And they're always looking for the chink in the opposing team's armor. They're looking for any little thing they can get to gain an advantage out on the playing field. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that Satan is seeking to find any way he can to get an advantage of God's people, the homes of God's people, and God's church. And Paul is warning, and he's putting it out there saying, look, you are at, at, at a second crossroads. The first was, are you going to deal with the sin? And if, you're, if you don't, you're in trouble with the Lord. Now they've dealt with it. The man has gotten right with the Lord. He's repented. He says, you're at the second crossroads. Are you going to forgive him or not? Because you need to understand, if you do not, Satan is going to get an advantage. He is going to gain a foothold over you. Throughout the Bible, we see that Satan is a real individual. Uh, he is a created being. Um, I, I've read a little bit, and, and I, every now and then, I'll see these little clips that come up. There is some kind of a show, I think it's on Netflix. By the way, I canceled Netflix a, whole, a long, long time ago. They're not getting any of my money to promote their LGBTQTVWXYZ agenda. Just not going to happen. Uh, but there's a show, I believe it is called Lucifer. Has anybody heard of it? I'm not going to ask if you watched it or not. It is total blasphemy. And it declares in that show, one of the things that, that came out is it declares that Lucifer is the son of God and that God was a bad father to Lucifer. Um, that is unbiblical. Lucifer is a created being who rebelled against almighty God. Don't let your doctrine come from television. Um, but we do know from the Bible that Satan has always had and always will have a desire to gain an advantage over God's people. Again, pure scripture tonight. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. Familiar portion of scripture, the Bible says in verse 8, be sober. That means to be serious-minded. Do not take this thing lightly. Do not act like this really isn't all that important. Be sober. Be vigilant means you stand guard. You be watching. Your head needs to be on a constant swivel. Be vigilant because you're, what's the next word? Adversary. The devil's not your friend. The devil is your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He may promise you happiness. He may promise you freedom. He may promise you fun, but his goal is to devour. 
whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We understand, we read this, we are familiar with this portion of scripture, but be reminded it is true, be sober and be vigilant. Look at Luke chapter 22. Another familiar portion of scripture of a believer who received the warning that was given in 1 Peter 5 and ignored it. He was not sober, he didn't take it seriously, was not vigilant. Ironically, it's the same man who wrote 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Luke chapter number 22. It is the night before the cross. And look please in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. He called his name twice. Remember when the Lord repeats, God's emphasizing. God wanted to make sure Simon was listening to him. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may what? Sift you as wheat. He just wants to separate your life and just grind you to dust. Satan's desired to have you. The Savior said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The Savior prayed for him. Ironically, Peter never prayed for himself. When they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, just, uh, just uh, moments after these words were spoken, the Savior said, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Peter just fell sound asleep. The Savior came and woke him up, said, what could ye not watch with me, me, me one hour? Uh, reiterated the thing, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And Peter went to sleep. Jesus prayed for Peter, but Peter didn't even take it seriously enough to pray about himself. And uh, what happened that night before it was all done with? Peter denied Christ three times exactly as the Savior said, and he went out and wept bitterly. Look, if you would please, to the book of Job chapter 1. Peter was not the first person to whom this happened. Job chapter number 1. We're introduced to this man in verse 1. The Bible gives this testimony. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. This isn't Job's opinion of himself. This isn't anybody else's opinion of Job. This is God's opinion of Job. Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. Remember, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? God's bragging on Job. It's one of the few times God does that in his word. He brags on Job. So this testimony of Job is coming from God himself. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? How do you suppose that, that uh, Satan knew that there was a spiritual hedge of protection around Job and his family? How do you suppose he knew that? He, he tried to go after him, and he couldn't get there. Does not the Bible say the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him? 
Um, he said, sure, Job serves you, but he's got good reason. You put a hedge about him. You protected him. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And you know the story, unleashed everything that he could to destroy that man, to destroy his testimony and his walk with God. Satan desired to have that man long before this encounter with God. We know that because he knew the hedge was there. Would you understand that nobody is immune to satanic attack? No one. We're talking about the man who was the greatest believer of his generation. There was no one walking the face of planet Earth in Job's lifetime who was more right with God, more solid in his faith and testimony before God than Job was. Uh, nobody is immune to Satan's attack. You say, but I've been saved X number of years. He's never come after me. That doesn't mean he's not coming. Uh, well, yeah, but I, I teach Sunday school and I'm a preacher and I do this and I do that. You are, need to understand that all those things just uh, put a bigger target on your back. No one is immune and we've got to get that down in our hearts. First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. This is at the end of David's life. Would you understand that the episode with Bathsheba is many, many years in the past? David has gotten right with God. He has been restored by Almighty God. The rebellion of Absalom is history. David's kingdom is firmly established. David has spent the latter years of his life preparing for uh, everything Solomon would need to build a temple uh, when he would ascend the throne of Israel. Uh, David uh, is the sweet psalmist of Israel. David is, is getting ready to step out into eternity. But please look at this in verse 1, 1 Chronicles 21. And Satan stood up against Israel. Israel, that was God's chosen nation. They were God's chosen people. And Satan is standing up against it. And look who Satan used to do his work and provoked David to number Israel. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk in a future sermon um, about this. I'm actually beginning a series tonight uh, about what, why David was tempted to do that, to number Israel. But would you understand that Satan found a way to use the sweet psalmist of Israel to bring Israel down. I wonder who Satan's using in this church to do his dirty work. Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 again, lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. You understand that Satan has tools and he has tactics. And Paul said, we're not ignorant of them. We already know from the word of God what his modus operandi is. If he could use someone like David to do his dirty work, do you not suppose he could use any one of us? So we have to ask ourselves, I wonder who he's using. 
Look, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You say, you're sure bouncing us all around. Couldn't you just start at the beginning and work your way through? No, you need to practice with your Bible drills. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is warning the church at Corinth even further uh, about the tactics of Satan and so forth, and this time it's all about false teachers. Look, if you would, please, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 and uh, verse number 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Do you know that false teachers don't infiltrate saying, hey, I've come to spread a false doctrine. They usually come saying, I've come to give you a new doctrine. I'd like to sit down with your people and do a Bible study. They come in and say, hey, we're, we're just like you are. Um, and Paul is warning about them. And notice what he says further. And no marvel, no marvel that these, these uh, people pretend uh, to do that for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, the idea that he is uh, red and has horns and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, you know, that comes from medieval artwork and lore. We have no idea what Satan looks like. Uh, we will look uh, at the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah and Ezekiel where we find out that when he was created, that he was the perfection of beauty. Uh, I don't believe for a moment that Satan is all, uh, you know, those nasty uh, pictures sometimes that you see him depicted as, but uh, here the Bible says, don't even, don't even be surprised because Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. He always wants to come along as your buddy. He always wants to come along as I'm here to help you. Um, he goes on, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, those that are serving him, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. You can always tell if you listen, if you pay attention. Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. Just watch and see what they're doing. Just see what their influence always brings about, and you'll be able to pretty much pick out uh, who his people are. Uh, turn, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, you doing okay? Serious, serious subject, and I'm doing that because that's what the Bible says we're supposed to do in approaching this one. Be sober, be vigilant. Ephesians chapter 4, and verse number 26, or verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness true holiness. We're supposed to be different after we get saved. We're supposed to think differently, talk differently, behave differently. Amen. Um, he said, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Do you know it's all right to have anger to a certain point? The Savior got angry at the money changers in the temple. There are some things that, that uh, ought to make us angry, but anger is no excuse for sin. Your temper, your anger is no excuse for uh, lying, for swearing, for throwing things, for punching people. Uh, he said, be angry and sin not, but you're not, you're not supposed to hold on to that wrath. Let, uh, uh, let not sun, the sun go down upon your wrath. You're not strong enough to maintain, maintain anger on the long haul. Verse 27, neither give place to whom? The devil. My, how the devil can use anger and wrath and temper tantrums to do his bidding. Uh, that's, that's a very real thing. Uh, we're in Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles. That means the trickery, the deceitfulness of the devil. The devil never plays fair. The, never, the devil never plays honest. He's a deceiver. John 8, said he was a liar from the beginning. Um, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There's a couple things that I notice here. Number one, uh, the, the devil is after us in a spiritual warfare. Okay, We're, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Uh, we, we like to uh, narrow it all down that, uh, you know, uh, this political party or that political party, they're the enemies, liberal versus conservative, that type of thing. No, it's not flesh and blood. It, it's the guy behind the scenes that's pulling the strings, and that's Satan himself. Uh, it's spiritual wickedness in high places, and we're supposed to uh, put on the whole armor of God. So recognize there's a warfare that's going on, and in, unless you've got the armor of God on in your life, you are defenseless against it. He's going to cut you down. But there's something else I want you to understand. It doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says the devil can throw everything he, he wants to against you, but you can still withstand, and you can stand in the end. Amen? Uh, the devil didn't make Job sin. He tried uh, in chapter 1. He tried again in chapter 2. And in, in both chapters end with, with the same phrase. And all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Uh, the, the whole idea from Flip Wilson from the 1960s, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. Uh, can't at all, and he, he doesn't uh, have to be allowed to destroy your, your testimony, your family, uh, your home, your marriage, our church. Uh, it, it all depends on whether or not we arm ourselves with the spiritual armor. That's why God gives us this book to tell us what he's up, the devil's up to. Turn, if you would, just a couple more places. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. Paul started the church at Thessalonica in the book of Acts, uh, I believe chapter 17. It was one of, I think, his favorite churches. Um, and he always talked about going back and, and, and spending some time with them. But he says in verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 2, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. We tried more than once to get back to you. What are the last four words of verse 18? But Satan hindered us. Isn't that amazing? Satan was fighting against the ministry of the Apostle Paul and actually hindered them from getting to Thessalonica. Uh, we don't know what he did. Uh, we, we don't know what, what he employed in that. Paul doesn't elaborate. He just says, but Satan hindered us. Would you understand you have an enemy? There's an enemy of your marriage. There's an enemy to your children. There's an enemy to your grandchildren. There's an enemy to our church. There's an enemy to our nation. we got to understand uh, that there is an enemy. We're supposed to be alert to that. We're not supposed to be ignorant of him nor of his devices. And above all, beloved, we're supposed to do everything we can to make sure that he does not get an advantage over us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse number five, this is a lengthy chapter in this 
uh, book of the Bible where Paul talks about the subject of marriage uh, and the marriage relationship. In uh, verse number five, as he talks about husbands and wives, and I will be cautious and appropriate here, he says, defraud ye not one the other. He's talking about a husband and a wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. He's talking about the marital relationship, the physical relationship that's part of marriage. Uh, he said, you be mighty careful about that. Uh, you guard that. Don't you defraud each other, meaning withholding uh, that affection and so forth, unless it's just for a brief time of fasting and prayer and come together again. And here's why. That Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Satan's always looking for a toehold. And that's all he needs. He just needs a little crack in the door. That's all he needs. He just needs it open just a little bit to get in. He wants to get into our marriages. Uh, Peter warned us ab about uh, uh, our prayer lives and our, our marital relationship and so forth. And he said, you need to guard that, let, that your prayers be not hindered. Remember, Satan hindered Paul from going to Thessalonica. The greatest enemy that we have today is not the Democrat Party. And I'm not a Democrat, never will be but they're not the greatest enemy. It's not the liberals, it's not the media, it's not Hollywood, uh, it's none of that. The greatest enemy that we have is the same enemy that's always been the enemy of God and his people, and that's Satan himself. And we need to understand that, and we need to get serious about it. Tonight, I'm, I'm, this is laying the groundwork for an, uh, a series of sermons like I've never preached before, entitled, Let Satan Get the Advantage of Us. And for the next five, six weeks on Sunday night, we're going to deal with, with uh, the, the devices the devil uses to get into our lives and our homes and in between husbands and wives, between church members, to do his dirty work. We are not supposed to be ignorant of his devices, but I'm going to be honest, looking on as a pastor after 43 years of ministry, I sadly think the average Christian is totally ignorant of the way Satan works. If we, if we were not, we wouldn't do a whole bunch of the things that we do. We would not say and live and practice. We, we wouldn't be hanging out where we hang out, hanging out with whom we hang out with. Um, it's the fact that, that we are literally ignorant of the devices of the devil. By the way, uh, he doesn't come along saying, hey, why don't you smoke some dope? Hey, why don't you go out and get drunk? As we look through the scripture, you're going to find out it's, 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 that's not the way he's going to work. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we will be back here next Sunday night, probably on this particular point. So if you need to miss a service, I'll just give you a warning now so you don't come under too much conviction. Um, lack of forgiveness gives Satan the advantage over you. Lack of forgiveness separates you from the presence and power of God in such a way that you are fair game and you are an open target for Satan to get you. And yet there are Christians all over this country and churches just like this one that are just filled with, with the lack of forgiveness and an unmerciful spirit. Um, and, and they think that they're, they're justified in that. They think they're upright in that. And what the Bible says is you just let the devil win. He's got the advantage of you. And when he's done, it's, it's, it's called devouring. It's not a good thing. So the time is for us to short up. Will you go back with me one last time to 2 Corinthians 2, and then we will be finished tonight. 
I had already planned on it being a briefer message. The, the chest pain, what's going on in the arm has nothing to do with this. Uh, I, I wouldn't shorten God's uh, work uh, for anything like that. Can I get you to look please in verse 10? 2 Corinthians 2, to whom ye forgive, forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Be a kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's exactly what he's restating in verse 10. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I believe that every parent in this room loves your children more than life itself. I think that's a fair statement. I think that every grandparent in this room loves our grandchildren so much that there just aren't words to describe it. Almost every time a new, new uh, family, uh, a couple, they become grandparents for the first time. I, I, I did it with, with Julie Boyce. I dare you to stop smiling. Uh, the Vasics, Joey Vasic and his wife just had their first child a couple of weeks ago. Jo Joseph Vasic V. They're starting a dynasty. Uh, and uh, so I texted Joe and Amy right away and congratulated them uh, on, on their new grandson. And I said the same thing. I said, I just dare you to stop smiling. Joe said, I can't. I tried. I just can't stop. There's just something about that, that next generation and we, we cherish them. Uh, so very, very much. But, but listen, uh, adults, moms, dads, grandparents, we need to be very, very careful that we're not giving Satan the advantage that's going to end up leading our children into wreck and ruin. You walk away from God, you understand your kids are going to walk away with you. You get out of sorts with God, you understand you're taking your kids with you you're taking your grandkids with you. I don't want that hanging on my head. I love my kids far too much for that to happen. So at the outset, before we've gone into the devil's toolbox and we've looked at item after item and pulled them out and examined them in light of scripture and learned what we're supposed to do to overcome that particular device, let us start this whole issue with becoming serious about this matter the devil is a roaring lion. He wants to destroy us, our homes, our marriages, our children, our church. So are we going to be Peter when we read all of that? Yeah, I'm fine. Never get me. I'm too spiritual for that. And before the night was over, his face is in the dirt, utterly defeated, utterly defeated. And it took a work of God to get Peter back on his feet again. Please understand that. Are we going to be that foolish to do that? Are we going to be humble and wise enough to drop to our knees before God and say, dear God in heaven, Please do not let me say or do anything that would give the enemy the advantage over me, my marriage, my family, or my church. If Satan could use David to harm Israel 
And when we go into that particular text in detail, you will find out Satan used David and tens of thousands of people died because of David. There ought to be something beating in the heart of every sincere child of God to say, oh, dear God, don't let me be the kind of person that Satan says, yeah, I can use him. I can use her. God, don't let me be that one. Can we bow for prayer? Father, thank you for the Bible.